0: But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7
2: in our mobile banking app.
1: Good morning.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gola Jr. That is me. With me, as always, Brandon Jarrell Newman. Brandon, what's going on?
2: I have a lot of things going on one of the most pressing things is the fact that you keep using my damn government name when you open up this podcast like i understand i got to be out here in these in these media streets all out but you my government that's my full government mike
0: like people don't know what that j stand for yeah. And you know what? That like when we were getting started with this podcast, so many people talked about because the name of the podcast is Gojo. It was a name that I if you're if every you know podcast is someone's first, it was a nickname I was given by the friends of the Dan Lebitard show of yes. Metal Ark Media in the DraftKings family. And so everyone talked about, it's... well, why why isn't Brandon have a nickname like that? And I forget why, but it got the train got out of the station before I could freely be like, well. People used to call Brandon, like, "B New, or Baby New. But then I remembered somewhere in the middle, I was like, oh, yeah, people also used to call you Jarell all the time. So that was why the Brandon Jarell Newman just started oh. to effortlessly flow from me.
2: Okay, okay, but here's the thing, though. He said people used to call me Jarell. This is one of those things where, like, you come up with a nickname for somebody and you tell everybody, like, oh, everybody did this. When I would – I told everyone I was new to drinking when I when I got to college. When I started drinking – I, a little bit of my southern twang would, would, would creep out and Mike was like, Oh, oh, hi Jarrell. Oh, Jarrell's here. He would tell everybody at the party, Jarrell's here. <laughs> then when, I, when, looked- it, when he when he got you know, when people get drunk and annoying, when he got really fed up with me, I remember one time he said to me, I was like, Jarrell? Let me know when Brandon gets back to the party. I am done talking to you right now.
0: (laughs) Hey, man. It it is so true because I know a select few people in my life who pop out some of that regional twang. My sister-in-law, Jenny, my brother's wife, is from Boston. And when you used to get her pissed off, that Boston accent would snap out real quick like – I'd, you know, fart or something around her and all of a sudden it would just, which one of you fucking fotted? Like immediately it was knee jerk. And that was you with alcohol and that bit of Southern twang. And I just realized, um, okay, like, all right, we got, we got to switch it up out here. Like oh we gosh. all, we all contain multitudes when we are drunk. Yours just happened to have a name.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, we'll just, by the time this podcast gets in the, the millions of, of subscribers and downloads, maybe I'll have a nickname and we can. These, these will be lost episodes where people know my, my full government.
0: I will say, this will definitely not be a lost episode. Very excited. We told you guys that we got beef week around here yes. at Gojo. The O-Line Mastermind Summit is this weekend. It is like Von Miller's Pass Rush Academy, Tight End you all that you've seen, but for big boys, which makes it even better. And we had Lane Johnson from the Philadelphia Eagles on yesterday, who was awesome. He is one of the guys that founded O-Line Masterminds. Today we get to talk to now Miami Dolphins left tackle, who they brought over in free agency, Teron Armstead spent the first nine years of his NFL career with the New Orleans Saints. And Brandon, one of my favorite interviews that we have done, Teron is such an awesome dude. I met him when I was going through off-season programs with the Saints back in the you know 2014-2015 range. I met him when he was real young in the league in his second and third year. And you know, three Pro Bowls later, a couple of nice uh, second and third contracts here, Teron is doing very well for himself and has some awesome stories about guys he's played against, what they're building, down there with the Dolphins and his rap career which I promise you you you're going to want to check out because you and I were both sitting around listening to it before the show like damn this guy actually does this shit
2: oh yeah he's spitting he's spitting and we'll go deeper into it we could have talked to him for hours on end. uh I can't wait till we get a chance to talk to him again I'm excited to watch him this season it's always nice to have people that you root for for whatever reasons the best way to to find those people is through podcasts, in my opinion. I like listening to the mm-hmm. podcasts, getting in on someone. It's like, you know what? That's a fine young gentleman. That's a fine young lady. You know what? I'm going to root for them in whatever they do. So I am very, very excited for the Miami Dolphins. I'm invested in a new way thanks to Tehran.
0: Yeah, I would say Tehran does great stuff in the community. If you're looking for a guy to root for, has a community center that he started in Southern Illinois, a learning center in New Orleans where he played for so long. He's a guy that has given back and invested in those areas. So... Excited to talk to him, but Brandon, you and I were arguing before this show, not even arguing, just (laughs) discussing very passionately because when we were sitting around listening to all of Tehran's songs, it just like for some reason, I don't know why, you know how a song will just jump back into your head? And I was sitting around and I had one of those songs jump back in my head because people always ask the question, gun to your head, what's one song you could rap to save your life from start Mm. to finish without making any mistakes? And I had this song pop back into my head, and I realized What the Hook Gonna Be by Murphy Lee will probably always be one of those songs for me. And I don't know why, but then you brought up the fact that apparently I am not the only one who shares this affinity with one of Murphy Lee's only real big-time hits.
2: Oh, man. I mean... Yes, quite literally that. Uh, my wife, Michelle, uh, is also a huge Murphy Lee fan. What the Hook Gonna Be and uh, Magic Stick are two songs that all of her passwords stem from. Lyrics So those say I'm giving up too much information yeah, about I'm Michelle. Yeah, I was going to say, be careful, a we'll little be too much with that. <laughs> Digital. Uh, she she uh, wrote in her yearbook uh, that murphy lee uh what the hook gonna be is one of her favorite songs of the year uh of her high school career so yes i i've heard it and i've i've understood it and as someone who frequents karaoke bars i recognize Mm. there there's certain rap songs there's certain hip-hop songs that uh cross over uh to the other side if you will and becomes very very important for the the majority of people in in these United States of America um, uh, from the caucus, from the caucus mountains. Uh, One of them being ride with me from Nelly. That's a big, that's a big one. And uh, I I would say just because of my proximity, what the hook going to be for Murphy Lee might be, might be in the top five.
0: Well, you know what my proudest karaoke moment of all time is, right? No, tell me. So back at ESPN, there was a big summit for all of the folks, like on air and behind the scenes. It was right around the time where like layoffs had just gone on. And so Ooh, this was sort of like yeah. a rally of the troops thing. And yes. so they flew everyone up to Bristol. Damn. And there was a big meeting in like a gym across the street. And they had everyone in there and pep rally. It was, it, it, it kind of felt like that. But <laughs> we went in there. And then after it meant, hey, a lot of people you're not usually in town with are here and ready to get drunk. And so. We all went out that night, and we went. There was a bar called the Russell. It was Jamaican spot in downtown Hartford that has since moved locations, but is still in existence. And we went all there, and it was me, Justin Tinsley, and Michael Smith, and I, God, I, I'm stop. I, I'm blanking on the other <laughs> member of this group because I think it might have been a quartet. Did a performance of. International Players Anthem by UGK and wow. Andre 3000. And I got looped into that and they allowed me the honor of doing the three stacks verse Stop. at the beginning. And Brandon in front of a congregation full of my okay. peers, I promise I went absolutely insane on that Oof. thing like Ter- uh, Tarika Foster Brasby who is someone we hope to get on this podcast eventually, yes. T who was one of my teammates at ESPN does as Outstanding a job as covering the WNBA and women's athletics in general as anyone out there, but super passionate about the W. You can ask T about it. Somewhere out there still exists video or photo evidence of this moment, and it was was the proudest karaoke moment of my life, bar none.
2: Mike, I can't believe I'm just hearing the story. I'm very, very proud of you. We've had you be uh, celebrated for having that verse at the tip of your lips uh, during a, a past podcast. Somebody tweeted at us about it, but... Tarika Brasby Foster, we are going to have her on this podcast, and I'm going to ask her about that moment. And it's so funny and so great that you're there with Michael Smith, somebody I'm very close to as well, uh, a former ESPNer. Um, and that would, that'll would be the moment to do so. That that's really I, I, I like that for you. I love that moment for you because it's a it's a Hall of Fame home run moment that. Uh, I, that, like, I know that you have, like, in your host... Like, I know you could pull that out, but I know that not a lot of people know that you got that in there. So, like, that, that was a great flex moment. That had, have been, that had yeah. been an amazing time.
0: He got, he got that dog in him, for sure. Uh, <laughs> he got that dog! He got that karaoke
2: out. dog in him.
0: Shout, shout out to the full cast crew. But, uh, Brandon, do you have a song start to finish that you know you can still go with right now? And, oh. by the way, at Gojo Show on Twitter... And certainly as always download subscribe rate and review Gojo the podcast wherever you get your pods leave us a five star rating and a review and in that review tell us the song you can rap start to finish if your life depended on it. I know this is like tried and true summer topic here but No. It works for a reason cuz that shit's awesome.
2: Yeah, and it's, it's 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 tough too because I do feel like in this analogy, like I take these analogies way too seriously. Like I feel like I would die just cause the pressure. Like I'll just be like, I'd mess up a word. I
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be some easy ass word. It's not even one of the ones you got to kind of like look right. up on Rap Genius.
2: Right. That's what I say. Like I, I want to say probably anything from Get Rich or Die Trying. Like mm. that. Like that. You know, in the club, wankster. Like, twenty-one questions. Like all those were just many men, patiently mm. waiting. I, I know I i I might I might go towards like something that was like very, very rappy. Um probably patient waiting from fifty cent and M M. But I do I'm like I love music so much and I love rap so much that I'm afraid of that hypothetical question. Like I really do well, get nervous when I <laughs> <laughs> like, like this. this. I don't know. I can, so do I pick Paul Revere uh, from the Beastie Boys? It's like, oh, no, let's just be fun, and you'll never, you, you won't get that second stanza. <laughs> You do. You got to have that thing practiced
0: because you never know when that situation might play out. Like, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. But it is a good note. It would absolutely be from a song that came from for us. So we're each 32 years old in that age range of the early 2000s because, as we all know, your brain absorbs way more stuff. And just the way popular music worked back then, you only had limited places to go for that. We didn't have as ready access to music. And so you heard those same things because you were either listening to it on like a CD or an early iPod, so you had much more limited access. Or like, God, getting up for school every day, I was watching MTV too, and I would watch the music videos as they ran in the morning. And so I heard Through the Wire and all these songs, you know, the that evanescence um you know save me like
2: yes yes all of that Ooh. stuff
0: i heard over and over again so the way our brains absorb those songs is so much different from the shit that we listen to now so it would have oh, to be one of those
2: but also too like there's like uh, to, to push back on that because i do agree with you but then there's that there's that one song that like you hear out of nowhere that you just love and then like it's, the, it's on every time you go to basketball practice and the and the guy who drives you to basketball practice plays it the entire, like, the old shit. Boys in the Hood from Easy e 1987. Mm-hmm. When I first heard it, and it's just so simple, and it's, like, so dirty. So, like, when I was, it was one of those, like, I do know all the words of it. But, honestly, I've talked around it. Anything from Will Smith, Willennium, like, all those types of, big Willie style, because my, my parents didn't do a cursing. Like, honestly, Will Smith rap. Will- willennium big willy style any of that yes candy all of it like the yes 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 that's all me that's all me. Right. Uh,
0: embarrassing enough that's all no, me. hey listen you know what we all have a story like yes. you said we all have reasons why these things happen <laughs> i'm glad we were able to cut to the core of that so again at gojo show on twitter at Apple Podcast, Leave us that five-star rating with what you got start to finish if your life depended on it. But uh, Brandon, we had the thing happen uh, again as we've talked so much about college athletics and the changes in that lately. We had more things and it is amazing Brandon as USC and UCLA surprised the college athletics world with that news they were moving to the Big Ten in 2024 that happened with no leaks with no one along the way giving up the goods until about two hours before that news went final it went from reports to admitted and acknowledged on the websites of the freaking teams in a matter of hours in a way that seems almost impossible in modern college athletics now we've got reports popping up all the time. latest from the other day was Dennis Dodd from CBS saying the Big 12 is in deep discussions to add six teams to their conference, teams that would include Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Oregon, Utah. So six teams from the Pac-12. Like, now we're starting to get a lot of those stories talking about, well, what comes next? What's the speculation? There were reports out there that the Pac-12 was looking to a loose partnership with another conference. Like, All of it, Brandon, feels hard to digest now because for the real stuff to have happened now two summers in a row without any real leaks, anytime we see these reports coming out, it feels like it's happening so quick it can't possibly be true.
2: Right. But now because of recency bias, I feel like all the stuff that I'm hearing is true. Like, oh. Did you hear that six teams from the Pac 12 are moving to the Big 12? Like, this is wh- what's going on right now. And I've obviously realized it's going to settle at some point in time in the near future. But now that the Big 10 and the SEC have positioned themselves to be the power two conference in college football, it does seem to be a little bit of a panicky arms race for the rest of the college football conferences to race to number three. Somebody, yeah. somebody needs to be the new Mac of this uh, equation. Uh, no shade intended.
0: Well, and you can see how some conferences are operating already, because there's been a lot of discussion about Clemson, Miami, Florida State, and the ACC who's got their rights deal with the ACC network and ESPN for another, you know, till 2036 or something in that range. That means you pay a heavy penalty. Should you leave the conference before that? Like we know that's why Oklahoma and Texas are leaving when they are, why Mm -hmm. SE and UCLA are leaving when they are like, All of that stuff is dictated by tv and i don't know if you saw brandon the pac-12 put out a statement that said their board of directors voted to allow the conference to pursue their next media rights deal which to me sounded like hey we want to make sure we hammer this out while we still have the teams we have so maybe the financial penalty makes them think a little bit longer and harder about when and how they leave so You've got all that going on in a way that I don't think is going to happen immediately. Like maybe somebody does panic and jump ship because they're worried about getting left behind, but it seems like the Big Ten wants to stand pat unless Notre Dame is ready to join. So I feel like while we're waiting for the Notre Dame ball to drop, we've got some things going down. But the real conversation that became interesting to me, Brandon, was after Joel Clatt, who you know is a part of the you know top booth for Fox and their broadcast group. Yep. Does some of the biggest college football games in the country every weekend? Former tweet-
2: uh, Colorado quarterback.
0: Yes, yeah, like you say. So obviously, someone familiar with that area of the country and some of the mm-hmm. teams affected. But he tweeted out, "It's incredibly hard to see right now, in particular if you're a team outside the SEC or Big Ten. But the long-term outlook for fans is a good one. We will look back on these times as the moves that shaped a better postseason, more quality non-con games, and stronger governance." And Brandon, they caught a lot of heat for that. And obviously, like, I dealt with this at ESPN. Joel's going to deal with it at Fox. Like, most people assume everything you say as an employee of that company is something that is propaganda for that company. Like, I saw a lot of people Mm. making the point that Joel Klatt and Fox stand to benefit a lot if things go the way that they're going right now. And, like, I, I, I understand and, like, I understand the criticism that comes with that. Part of me is always going to a little bit push back on that just because, I caught heat for a lot of shit that I would say for people basically saying, well, you're only saying that because ESPN told you to, when no, it's just what I thought, and sometimes for people, it's a lot harder to deal with an individual who has an opinion they don't like, and so it's easier to just say, well, you couldn't possibly believe this, so I I I won't go that far with Joel Clapp, but... It was an interesting point because you and I talked about this the other day. Is any of this good for college football is the conversation that keeps coming up. And I think, Brandon, you can essentially boil this down to what version of college football are you digesting and do you enjoy?
2: Because if you consume college
0: football as a regional product, I don't know how much this is going to be something that appeals to you. If you consume it as a national product, which we know television partners and the people that cover the game, especially at the national level, would absolutely stand to benefit from, then yeah, of course this is awesome. We've wanted since the playoffs started better out-of-conference matchups, these titanic programs from across different areas of the country coming together in those out-of-conference games where we get to do a little bit of the measuring stick thing in college football that helps us sort, hey, which teams and conferences are good and that we trust during the year. So if you come at it from that side, which for us as Notre Dame grads, and I always have to admit this for me up front, That's kind of the way that I have always consumed college football because for us, it's always been a national product. For us, it's been Notre Dame goes and barnstorms and plays wherever they want and operates however they want, and now I cover college sports for the national media, but I've also gotten to go around and call games more off the, you know, every college town, South Bend's off the beaten path, but I've gotten to be in a bunch of areas that we didn't play in as athletes in college, and you do see these regional rivalries matter a lot to fans. Absolutely, Having these conferences that have regional identities matters a lot to a group of fans. Right. And in general, for college football, even when you look at the national brand of choice, like College Game Day, which is one of the biggest brands in college football, It is made great by the fact that you have such ardent support for so many of these schools in small areas of the Mm -hmm. country, that you have local fan bases are so passionate and stories to tell. Like you look at Tom Rinaldi made us cry for years telling individual stories about players, about communities, about what it means to these spaces. It was always about, hey, showing the country the local flavor of this place. And so I I think it's going to differ where you come from, but I do wonder if at some point... If college football is at the place where it is ready to be a national product first, and maybe it's already been at that place, and I'm selling short what the BCS and the playoff had done, but at, at some point, you know, that has always been what this sport was built on, and I wonder if it's ready to be almost strictly a national brand in the way that it seems to be trending.
2: Well, it seems like the powers at B for college football want it to be a national power. That's why we're yes. moving to this area. That's why, you know, was, uh, Fansville became a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Fansville is nowhere and everywhere all at once. If,
0: if you want to learn more about the Fansville cinematic universe, the Shutdown Cast is the <laughs> podcast you need to consult. But go really?
2: on. Oh, that's great. I got to check it out. Um, but, anyways, what Joe Klatt said, I have an issue with because. I was never under the assumption that college football was broken. I I didn't think that it needed to be fixed. Like, I understand that we may look back on these times and be like, okay, this was the genesis of what we know college, college football to be for the next 150 years. But I am not under the guise that, it's anything more than it needs to be when it comes to just being a regional obsession. Like James Madison, Fresno State, uh, Tulsa, uh, El Pat, like all these different places around the country that will live and die for their university and all the commerce and opportunities comes from their university. I guess I'm just like a, a, the perfect consumer. I just take it as it's coming. And after things change and things I don't like, Happen, I'm like, oh, well, I, I don't like this thing now, but it, that doesn't change the fact that it is the way it is. This idea that it needs to be fixed was something that I didn't really like when ESPN took over the college football playoffs. Now, I, I wasn't like rooting for the BCS to continue to be the BCS, but the best college football game I had seen was USC and Texas. So I was like, oh, OK, like at some point in, in some way, the cream does rise to the crop and we'll get a good game. Once in a in a decade, regardless of how it shakes out, I'm okay and cool with the playoff system. But I'm one of the very few college football fans that sits back when it comes to co- committee time when they pick picking the, to- the the top four, top six. I'm like, ooh, I wouldn't want their job because I I don't I don't want to be in those crosshairs. I don't I don't want to make a a uh, you uh like a dictatorship decision like this is number one this is number four this is number six because it is subjective and it is a regional sport and you haven't watched all the games <laughs> you know like none of those well, none of those people have watched all the games or and, those people and, that they're deciding
0: and, well and to be clear like that's the job and you're supposed to but we're no they're all human beings that have right. limitations on their time but the one thing i'll push back on is you said that College football is not broken. There are some ways, and I think Joel, what he said here wasn't that college football was broken and need fixing, but he did identify three areas that have always drawn the lion's share of complaints, right? There has traditionally not been great leadership in college athletics, period. There has certainly been criticisms of whatever the playoff system has looked like, and will continue to be, because part of me just thinks we're wired to complain about that particular thing in this particular sport. And then the other part of it is, we do love those marquee out-of-conference matchups, because The biggest difference in besides talent and skill between college and the NFL is one has a set schedule that can give you a much better sense of who's good and who's not. And the other is college football where you rely on a couple of instances of cross-pollination to have an understanding of what the conference hierarchies look like and which teams are good because scheduling is so uneven and variable based on how many conference games a team plays and who they're actually willing to schedule out of conference. And so... All of what happens going forward in college football if it keeps consolidating like this does make it easier to figure out who's good because you would just be having the teams that we already know based on resources and talent are good enough to even be considered in that conversation in the first place just playing each other. Like That would be a you know problem that we've seen that would be solved based on the structure of this new world order.
2: Okay, I, I hear you, uh, an equation and our problem being solved, but how does this solves stronger governance, g- governance. Like, do you well, think Well, the
0: thought, the thought process there would be the hands of people like Greg Sankey and Kevin Warren are more stable and understand this a lot better than Mark Emmert and the NCAA, which I don't automatically agree with by the way. And I don't know. Okay. You know I think Greg Sankey, because he has been the head of the most powerful conference for longer than any of the other conference commissioners now, especially After all the change, gets a lot of that benefit of the doubt from people that, well, he'd be better than Mark Emmert, but I still don't know if I trust a lot of these people in charge to operate with different goals. And like, all of this is still driven by wanting to make money. Like the NCAA never really had control over college football outside of punishment based on structure. But for everyone else, it's still about money. Like what drives this is, hey, they look every year and see Notre Dame and Clemson do monster numbers and say, well, shit, some is great, more is better. Why wouldn't we mm. just have the version of college football that gives us those more of those matchups? Like, to hell with the backyard brawl or any of these rivalries that we've seen for years that tend to come and go based on TV dollars. We just want the ones that we know the most people watches. And I, I know I asked, like, is college football ready? It probably is. Like, college football is a massive product. Football as a sport is just a level of violence that we're addicted to as a country and as a society. Like, we've proven that over time. Yeah. And like so many people thought, you know, NIL was going to be the thing that drove this away and changed college football that way. Like it was always going to be TV dollars and these people making the decisions. It'll survive in some form and it'll change a lot, but... The, the good, for, I, I still am not ready to say like any of this is good or bad for college football. It's just what version of the product your experience is most associated with. And I don't know where we are on the scales between college football as something for the average consumer, you know, the, the, like the, the, Fairweather fan who is just mm-hmm. going to tune in for the big time matchups that maybe you get more of that versus the diehards that have lived and breathed with the school. That's their alma mater for decades.
2: Listen, all I all I have to say is y'all make these little changes with the conference. Cool. Y'all want a big two, whatever it is. I, I'm okay with it. If you start changing, because you're right, the game has changed. Football has changed. Ever since they try to make football safer or make the uh, allure of football being safer for I don't know who they were they trying to sell the game of football to that needed it to make it seem like it was you know a pillow
0: well, fight. They they needed to they needed to sell it to parents. They needed to sell it to parents okay. of young football players who were looking at all this yeah. because that's the real thing that like most okay. football people worried about existentially was would that perception affect youth football numbers in a way that affects then what makes its way to the college and the pros.
2: Okay, perfectly fine, but I I would hope and urge the decision makers of college football to stop the tinkering at the conference realignment because if we start taking away kickoffs and changing up actually how the game is actually played, then I have a a bigger issue. And I I don't know if it's a traditionalist in me or things like that, but like this whole concept of making the football game into a version of a football game uh, I have a problem with, especially in America, especially with college football. So and I know those changes are, are coming because we continue to tweak and turn. Like, do you remember when there used to be big stick highlights for college football games? Like that oh. is long. So gone. And, and I'm OK with with it and in, in not highlighting the violence versus highlighting the, the style, finesse and fun. But the violence is still there, and I think if you continue to try to tinker with that, then it makes it unsafe for the people actually playing the game because everyone's trying to learn new rules every season.
0: I think we've proven that if you institute the rules for long enough, you can change behavior. The approach to targeting has certainly done that, and I think statistically they released some stuff that bore out that you lowered instances of that. Eight
2: years in, yes, eight years in.
0: And to your point, I think special teams changes are going to continue to come, and I don't have a problem with that. I think player safety should be at the forefront of all of this, and if we identify areas like that, like the wedge-on kickoff return that we used to have that we eliminated, the game is still surviving just fine. College and NFL football are still just as popular. If we can save some of the bodies involved in all that by altering some of those areas, I'm always going to put that first. That's just kind of how I'm wired with this stuff because violence is still an inherent enough part of the game. There's a high-speed collision on every play in some way, shape, or form. And just because we have fewer jacked-up moments and just because we have fewer guys going for full clothesline tackles, clearly has not made football any less the dominant sport in this country. What will undo it is if the violence in it is, like, I mean, we talk about these things all the time. You know, Demarius Thomas, who unfortunately passed away far too soon, his name was in the news because he was found to have, you you know, CTE, after he was examined after his death. So those things are going to continue to be and should be areas that we study greatly. And if we're not doing the things to counterbalance and try to make the game safer on the other side, then eventually you will lose you know, football in some way as we know it down the road as yeah. we find it'll, it'll be dependent on what information we do find out about that.
2: I just think with the game, the, the more onus put on protecting bodies is – the solutions ends up being eliminating some of those bodies and as a guy who was feel like it was on the back half of every roster I was on on a football team I need every opportunity I can to get on the field and I think a lot of a lot of those you know Bart Scott who ended up being a a great linebacker started off as a great special teams player and I think a lot of different players can say that and how they they started out and I know I'm being too specific and, and, and not not generalizing enough, but I do worry that, like you talked about the wedge, it, it, what happened was that player was taking off of the of, of that, the, you know, it became, instead of a three man rage, it was two men, and you know, does that make sense? Like the well, solution yeah, I, ends I, I up under- being take 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 that player, take that strategy, take that rule off the field or off well, the off the I, table.
0: I think it goes both ways, Brandon, and I think there's always some equilibrium with this because for every, you know, guy you lost who made his money like that, you found in the way the game changed where all of a sudden players that used to be tweeners on defense are now some of the most valued pass rushers where players who were stuck in limbo are now big nickels in formations that all of a sudden offer a different job. We saw rosters expand during COVID in a way that seems to have stuck around. And so I think as the game changes, you're always going to find areas with that. And on the other side, you could say it lengthens careers of guys who no longer have to absorb high-speed collisions like that. So I think equilibrium always finds a way. But bringing it back to the the original point about conference expansion in college football – And the way these changes are coming, I really do think it's going to be a litmus test for where college football is at on the report card. Because you're right, I think TV companies have always wanted this to become a national game. They've looked longingly at what the NFL's had, like everyone's done, like English Premier Soccer did. They took all their cues from the NFL and said, man, everyone here is making a lot of money and we sure would like some of it. It's just going to be a fascinating sort of report card of, is college football ready for that? And the answer is probably yes, because it will be made ready, because they'll put all the effort and energy they have right. into making sure this stays a big time TV product and something that people will consume. But it absolutely, if you are a fan of a conference that is currently being picked off for parts or a group of five school who feels yourself being squeezed out after that ground was made up or it felt like it by Cincinnati, I'd imagine this feels like a pretty scary time for you as far as your college football existence and fandom. And I think it needs to be noted that we're probably talking to two very different groups, more casual fans versus the people that have grown up in college football the way so many people who are traditionally fans of the sport are. So conversation certainly not going away it's always going to be fascinating because it's a sport we care about a lot we're going to take a quick break though when we come back we got an awesome interview lined up for you with Miami Dolphins all pro left tackle Teron Armstead Growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is gonna benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seed's DSO-1 myself, and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it, and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road, and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed scientific board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome and with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic research development and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust and it's great in convenience too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently just like any other routine health habit and Seed's subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your Routine Again, with no refrigeration required. So, trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to Seed.com Gojo and use code 25GOJO to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at Seed.com Gojo. Code 25GOJO. All right, pumped to get to talk to Teron Armstead. Now, I got to get this right in my own head going into the season. Left tackle for the Miami Dolphins after nine years with the New Orleans Saints. And Toronto. first off, congrats on that. I haven't really gotten to talk to you like this since you got the payday this offseason and move, but how does that sound to you already? Miami Dolphins, your first season outside of New Orleans and going into year 10, like I met you in year two of your NFL career. It's just wild to kind of sit here and consider.
1: Yeah, uh, it's, it's been great, man. It's been a blessing. Um, super excited about everything we got going on in South Florida. Uh, been embraced, you know, by the by the team, by the city. Um, a lot of new faces, you know, from the organizational st- organization standpoint. We got a new head coach, new OC, you know. So um, at the same time, it was a lot of people getting acclimated and getting getting adjusted. So it, it, it kind of felt seamless to me um, coming down and making that
2: transition. I mean, how is that for you, though? Obviously, first new team ever in the NFL, but you are coming from stability and the type of stability that not a lot of NFL franchises really see in a 10-year stretch.
1: Yeah, um, I had my concerns. I ain't going to lie to you guys. Like, I have my concerns, things that uh, I have grown accustomed to, got comfortable with, in a sense, in New Orleans, having that stability, having the same offense, same off-season program. You know what I mean? So I have my concerns, but like I said, man, it it has been seamless. Like it has been an effortless transition. Uh, And I got to credit that to to the organization down in Miami. Like we're trying to build something special down there. Mike McDaniel coming off from San Fran, he has his own identity. And as he's trying to imprint that on the team, uh, the locker room was already energetic. And lively. So now we're just adding a, a few more leaders to, to, to give direction. we got a good thing going down down South Florida.
0: Yeah, what was that message to you? And what I, let's start off with this. What would you say the identity that Mike McDaniel wants for this team is? Like what was that message that he delivered to you, either when they were trying to get you over there or once he got there and you guys were in meetings finally?
1: To be intentional really about everything. You know, moving with intent, moving with – uh being deliberate with the word. That's, that's one of his favorite words is, is deliberate. You want to deliberate practice, deliberate effort, deliberate, you know, so he just always likes to move with intent. And and I, I think that uh, having that approach, especially in the in the NFL, like it's such a small window that separates the, the teams that go to the playoffs from the ones that don't. So uh, just being focused and locked in on everything that we do, I think will, will be an added advantage for us. Like, we're not going to be a team that is going to come beat ourselves. You will have to beat us four quarters. Like, that's the identity we're trying to build. And and, and I love that. I love that. I love that we're going to come, come with it every time, come with it every day, get better, you know, train each other. And then when we go out on Sundays as one team, you got to come with your best or else.
2: I like that to hear deliberate because... You know, he doesn't really look like a head coach, as far as you know, growing up in the '90s. So, like, you want to hear some head coachisms out of him. You know, it's hearing that deliberate. You know what I'm saying? Like, one of my coaches said, and I I, in my head all the time, consistency is the truest measurement of performance, which is like, it's it's a double edged sword. And you've been extremely consistent at your job. That's why you got. Uh, the opportunity you have now, but what is it like for you coming in as a savior in that sense? Because they brought you in to really shore up and help out a really weak position at, uh, for that franchise for, for a long time at this point.
1: Yeah. I just look, man, I want to uh, come in and, and be a part of something special, you know, uh, like I said, I'll go back to Mike and, and the, the approach he has, the identity he has, he, he might not look like a traditional NFL head coach, but he'll tell you that, and he's going to do things untraditionally. But he's been successful; he's been extremely successful in the in the different franchises that he's been. So he knows how to win. I've had a lot of success in New Orleans. I've been in playoffs a ton of times. We were man close, real close to the Super Bowl. Been on great teams, so I I feel like I have a really good understanding of what it takes to win as well. So uh, I just want to bring that bring my experience, bring my leadership, bring my knowledge of the game, whatever they need for me, that's 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 what I'm going try to pour in.
0: And specifically, because Brandon mentioned the O-line room there, there have been a lot of scrutiny on that position group, but there's a lot of young guys in there too. Like it's a very, very young age-wise experience in the NFL-wise position group. I know you weren't on the field with them yet this offseason because you were recovering from a procedure, but – what was kind of your approach to jumping into a group where right away you're expected to be the best guy and one of the leaders, but it's still a bunch of guys you haven't exactly met yet with that offensive line room specifically?
1: Yeah, I mean, with it, with anything, with me, I always like to let things happen organically. I didn't I didn't go in and try to assert myself as day one, like I'm the better and I've been the, you know, none of that. Uh, I just got a chance to get to know these guys, you really, you know, shake hands, learn names, families, you know, see where these guys are from. Uh, and it didn't take long to to see the, the group of men that we got. Like, we got some young men, but we got some workers, man, some dogs, some extremely talented players. Like, a ton of those guys are, are very high picks, you know, first-round, second-round guys that haven't really been put in positions to succeed uh, More than more than anything. And I wouldn't even say – Lack of coaching, or lack of, it's a lack of—it's a—it's a whole recipe to have a successful infield career. Uh, you know, being around the game so long, like you—you you gotta have a, the right development. You gotta have the right scheme. Scheme can be a, a huge part with a lot of players too. But the guys that we got, man—a great young group that will see significant strides this season alone. Significant strides this season alone, just by having. The right direction and just being put in a situation to succeed we got we got guys that we got some standouts on the on the o-line that will surprise a lot of people
0: well and and like you said you've seen that consistency up close for a long time it's going to happen naturally I, i i agree i think that's the right way to go about things but for you in seeing, you are part of a lot of really good offensive lines. Usually year in and year out, your guys' group with the Saints was talked about as one of the best or the best lines in the NFL. So from what you've seen up close there, what do you think makes a great O-line unit? Like what does an O-line need to be successful at the highest level and that you think you can replicate here in Miami? Work.
1: Uh Work, consistency. Unselfishness, I thought mm-hmm. what I would say, and that's freestyling. Probably the three attributes that you would you would need to see. You need you would need to see work consistency and, and unselfishness, and, and the word got to be drilling that technique. You know, it's a it's a technique driven uh, position. You got to con- constantly drill that technique. Never be comfortable. Never be content. Uh, consistency. We're in the business of results and performance. You know, if you're not performing, you're not producing, they look elsewhere. So uh, we're working that technique and then you go out and we perform and a consistency and, and at a high level. Then being unselfish. You know, you make sure you're doing everything you need to do to, to, to be your best self at practice and then, uh, then again on Sunday. So you're being unselfish by sacrificing your time and energy Giving that, devoting that to the team. Um, Not playing for yourself, man. You playing within this game. If I need to be there for the guard, I got to be there for the guard. So, um, you know, I I think those just off the top of my head. Those are three attributes that I I feel like goes into great O-line
2: play. I'm glad you brought up selflessness uh, because I think like that's uh, something you have to do to be a, a great teammate, right? But something from the outside looking in, is distractions, especially in the NFL, especially with these particular cities. You know, I don't know if y'all got an HBO account, but The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, whatever his name is, ballers. He made Miami look like, oh, this is why they can't get stuff straight in Miami. There too many distractions. So, like, and I know when it comes to professionalism, it either exists or it doesn't exist. So, I, as being to a new city that you are now, like, is is there anything to that idea that some cities in the NFL, maybe a Miami, just too many distractions to get that level of consistency and selflessness from all the players?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the day and age we live in now, uh, not even as just NFL players, I think it's just Americans mm-hmm. We got access mm. to so many different things. Now, like social media has connected the world, so people that I would never have spo- uh, spoke to from California or Seattle, I could easily create that line of communication. So that those attitudes, I think that's from every walk of life right. right now. So I think it's a personal decision to when you're tapping in and you're you're trying to be professional to eliminate distractions. Sean Payne was a really big advocate advocate for that. Like you gotta eliminate distractions. It, you know, New Orleans is a city where people come down, they want to party. All that is cool, man. You you win, you be successful, you go out and celebrate you go back to work. You know, it's a window where you get a chance to to kind of mm-hmm. Exhale, and but you always got to be professional, you're under a microscope in this business for sure. So, understanding that uh, the opportunity that we have, this window that we have to perform, have this platform, make a certain amount of money is small, you don't really want to do anything to jeopardize that.
0: Do remember Sean Payton telling the rookies to stay the hell away from Bourbon Street. That was well-served advice for everybody involved. (laughs) That speech was every year, bro. It was clockwork. Every year. (laughs) It was good advice. That being said, you have gotten to work now in some pretty awesome places. Like, I saw you were down at the Miami Grand Prix there. Like, what is that like? Especially a place like Miami where New Orleans, there's a lot of fun. But Miami, you get the celebrity factor in that also. And I'm sure that weekend was a huge show of that.
1: Man, listen, I, I have seen some things in Miami. I'm not a go-out person. You know what I mean? I'm a homebody. I like to be in the career. But I've, I've been in Miami two, three months now. And just the, the level, the, the magnitude of events. Like F1, like you're talking about, F1 was down in down in Miami. Michael Jordan, Serena, and Venus. Just anybody, any name you want to name, you know. But the day before that, me and Mark Ingram went to a yacht concert. Future had a concert on a yacht. <laughs> what? Listen. Yo. Bro,
2: yacht? What? I didn't know that was a thing.
1: I didn't know it was a thing. The yacht had an elevator with four floors. What? Bro. <laughs> so me and Mark just walking through, like we walking through the elevator. I mean, we walking through the walking through the yacht. We just, we chopping it up with, with, with Fabulous. You know, sitting down Future on the stage, chopping it up with Fab. Uh, my boy from Snowfall Franklin, he yeah. right there talking to Mark like Mark like man, how long did it take you to practice, you know, acting without the accent? He's like man, just study, man, like you do with the playbook, just study. He got it because he got the UK accent. So
2: Damon Idris,
1: it, it was it was just it's just crazy. Like the level of events is ridiculous, bro. It was ridiculous.
2: I thought I thought yeah. I thought Future rapped about all the extravagant things. I ain't hearing nothing about no four story yacht yet. Yeah, that's gonna be on the next tape. It's coming. I'm probably
1: – He have to. He have to. He have to
0: talk about that. I ain't never seen that like that. That is no doubt next level on that one, man. It, it. But to the point you brought up earlier, man. If you are successful now in a city like that, you see the environment around there and how big everything can get there. And listen for your team in particular, the quarterback position down there. I mean, shit. Dan Marino was about as big as it got in the NFL for a long time. You got Tua Tungavailoa as your quarterback now in a prestige position in an organization like the Dolphins that's got some history there. You came from a place where you played with Drew Brees, who's a walk-in Hall of Famer, one of the best to ever do it. So, what have your first impressions of Tua been and getting to know him as a part of that team?
1: It's been great, man. It's been great. Tua's been uh comes with a lot of energy, uh, a lot of positivity. You know, he's he's been taking shots, taking shots, taking shot. Tua's ready. All right, he's ready to. I won't necessarily say shoot back because we're not we're not really gonna be doing too much of that. You know, we plan on we plan on being successful, in, in this season as a team. So we're not we're not really gonna be doing too much Twitter fingers, uh. From my perspective, you know, but uh, I mean, Tua got weapons now. He got he got he got weapons that, that never seen before in Miami. He's gonna have protection, you know. So. He's going to going to get a chance to really really flex his muscle and show why he's a first round talent and he's a, he's a champion and all those other things that he's been proving his whole entire, his entire life. It's, it's it's time for him to to really get a, get a chance to to go out and and play ball.
0: Is there anything about him that reminds you of Drew? Cuz a lot of people especially for a shorter quarterback want to make that comparison.
1: Yeah, probably size, probably size-wise. Uh he's taller than Drew. Uh, his legs way bigger than Drew's for sure. So got some <laughs> big, legs. that's that, you know, that's Samoan, mm-hmm. the, the poly life, you know, you got a, you got a bigger lower body. Um, I'm going to connect those two. I already talked, I talked to Drew, I talked to two already, you know, going, going to connect those two during, during training camp. Cause I mean, Drew was just a, a whale of, of knowledge and the way he saw the game, just everything like he 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 just had an x-ray vision for the game. He just saw through everything, saw through defenses, knew what every everyone was doing. Um, you know, so I'm gonna definitely want one Druda to be able to see if um to can pick his brain.
0: And, and too, with that, because you're a guy who's got an and we'll talk about O-line masterminds coming up this week, an event that you're at every year and, you know, gives a lot of knowledge to young offensive players. And you're one of the guys that gets held up as an example of your level of insane preparation going into these games and how you approach studying guys that you're getting ready to go after here. Like, is that the other thing? Like with Drew Brees, like what would you say the biggest thing with Drew was the attribute that, you know, would be best for Tua to try and adopt from Drew? Uh,
1: I would think I would, I would say that's more so, On two, I think it's based on the individual. You know, Drew felt like he needed X amount of hours to be ready. We will be seeing the Falcons for the second time in the season and running the same defense or the Panthers the second time of the season. And he would put in the same amount of hours. The defense didn't change. Like, sometimes we would go Falcons, Panthers, Falcons. we just seen them two weeks ago. And he would put in the same amount of hours as we played him the first time, that's just how he prepared, and he would watch every blitz from the last few years and every coverage, and that was that was just him. I don't do all that. I, I'm not. I study. I have my own way of studying. I break down. I know what I'm looking for, what I need to stop, and and all those good things. So it's it's based on the individual. Um, every everybody can't prepare like Drew, but if you can try to mimic that. Like, I've sat in with, with Drew and, and asked what, what you're looking for right here. Okay, how did you know that's what's coming? So I, I became, a, to get a better, a greater understanding, a greater knowledge of the game, I started calling out blitzes, and I see little rotations and all that good stuff. Just slows the game down.
0: Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLID. Only on the DK Horse app. incredible man speaking of the game slowing down like you were a third round draft pick out of Arkansas Pine Bluff you came from a smaller school than a lot of your peers especially drafted up that high like I remember the moment where I was like oh this is a bad you know what like I remember the exact moment where I was like okay we're gonna talk about this guy for a long time but did you have a moment as a player where the game slowed down for you or you knew like all right I can come up here and not just play but like excel in this league yeah, yeah,
1: uh, I can't say that it's one play, you know, especially in, in O-line, like, we play 80 plays. I win the first 79, and I give up sack fumble on the 80th. Terrible mm-hmm. game. Terrible game. So I can't really say uh, one play, but I've had stretches. Like, I've had runs where I, I didn't give up a hurry, uh pressure. My guy didn't get a tackle. So I've had games where I'm, I'm rolling, healthy. I'm seeing, I'm seeing rushes. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty tough to deal with when, when I'm, you know.
0: I, I listen. I w- like. I have the rep so firmly ingrained in my mind. It's wild. So when in 2015, I was in training camp with the Saints in Tehran, and there was a joint practice. It was at the Greenbrier in West Virginia, where you guys did training camp for a bunch of years, and it was a joint practice with the Patriots. And Chandler Jones was still a Patriot at that time. And I remember sitting back there. I was with the threes, so I'm back there watching one-on-ones and Toronto. and these guys are up first. And it is like a clash of the titans up there. And I just remember seeing... I always thought like, when people talk about you and I say, I always thought your best attribute was... No one gets their feet on a defender faster than you. Like all of a sudden you were in Chandler Jones' lap and this big, incredible athlete just had nowhere to go. And I was like, All right, if he just put the cuffs on him consistently through that period, that's a bad dude. So I, I that was just how I saw that moment, man. And that that was what I always you know, the the approach to your game's always been incredible. But I just thought that how quickly you can get on, dudes, is that something you were cognizant of? Is that I know you were a, you know, Combine freak, you're an incredible athlete. But was that something about your approach that you always tried to do?
1: I'm gonna see that clip so I got it on my phone. <laughs> oh my <gosh. laughs> yes.
0: I'm. Uh, so I'm counting. I'm counting on you to do that. I want to see no, that again. You. It was. You. I had a day. I had
1: a day that day. <laughs> uh, but no. So as as I was building my, like you say, small school guy, I'm trying to find myself. You know, I'm trying to find my identity. Where do I belong in this league? Do I belong in this league? You know, that's kind of a question that every player comes comes to. Bigger school guys not so much, because you just played against these same guys. You know, a few of them you're going to see. Um, so as I'm trying to find my identity, I'm watching the tackles that had been doing that at a high level and, and been successful. So I'm watching Joe Thomas, Trent Williams, Tyron Smith, Joe Staley, Whitworth, uh, Jason Peter, I'm watching all these guys, Um I'm taking what fits me. The explosiveness, I'm quick, I'm strong. I got strong hands when I get my hands on I'm not the. I'm not the biggest tackle. So I'm not sitting back taking bull rushes. I want to be more aggressive. I want to be more on offense. So as I was building my identity, what I do best, my strengths, I wanted to play to that. So I just... Work, man, work taking set after set. Like, what sets best fit my strengths? And and really, I just, man, tried to put a make a make a tool, toolbox. Like, just add all right, my jump set, my 45 set, my flat set, my flash. You know, so I just added all those into my toolbox as I was building my identity. Some of the things that Joe Thomas did, the vertical set, he would shut down, bull rushes. As soon as they made contact, he just stopped. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. If I sat back like that, it's was going to put me in quarterback lap. Stuff that Whitworth is doing, he would catch. He would, like, double under catch on contact, and guys would just come off the ground. Just I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. So, watching those guys and everybody throughout the league, I just found exactly where I saw my game and my identity by playing to my strength.
2: Once you got in the groove of playing to your strength, because I, I love this that you just, you know – just accumulating these days you're like oh I'm I'm that motherfucker you're like I, I, I'm him oh look look at this I'm him uh but once you got to be him I'm a defensive lineman nose guard true at heart so I want to know what are two guys named what's two names of players defense interior D lineman that when you came up against them after you realized you were him you're like oh oh they him too Look like oh, like, uh, was just just two guys instances that I just want to hear about when you was like okay, they 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 real they almost as real as me. Um, interior
0: guys, outside guys.
2: Uh, uh you, e- know what, either, you know what?
0: Either best D- lineman you've gone up against. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I,
2: I, I, we'll, we'll take some uh some some stats.
0: Uh, I'll start
1: interior first, and then I I go uh, outside too. Interior 2013, we in the Ooh. playoffs. We are in the playoffs against Philly. We on the road. Saints never won a role playoff game. Um I'm I'm still I'm fresh out of college. I'm strong. I'm you know what I mean I'm walking around just on hope you know. We run a, a duo. So they slide Fletcher Cox to the four eye. Easy work. Oh, I got it. I got it. So I go, boom, boom, fit up. I'm locked, I'm locked on too. And I feel like, yeah, when I got somebody with like hands inside, it's a wrap. You done. So I'm locked on. The this man best and shared me, made the tackle, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. So I, I go back. I go, go back. Like, I look I look back at him. I, I didn't really know his name. You know, it's, it was early. This was before Fletcher really got his name. Mm-hmm. I look back and I'm like, gosh, what was that? <laughs> probably a quarter go by. We we're to play a game. Slots of four. I, I'm about to kill him. I got to kill him. I got to get him back. I come off the ball. Boom. The way this man pressed, shed and made the play. <sighs> Again? Oh, oh man. Oh, he was real. He was real. That that was that was that was the the moment for me like he was different. That was before so- I got his name cuz I was blocking um had the DN Big name being too. We had a ton of sacks every year. Uh, Brandon it, Graham? No. no. Not that point. Before, Victor
2: Ebermar? Victor. Before, no. Oh, Javon Curse? Nope. No. No. Nope. I can't place I can't the 2013. That. Yeah. I can't. Was, that, think was, the, the, I it was a DN out of Michigan. No? No? i was, trying to think. I cannot remember this man's name.
1: But he was he was dogging me in the media before the game. He's like, oh damn! Rookie game, no rookie gonna block me, but you know, take my track record, all this, all that. So he really helped me get my name up. I strapped him. him. <laughs> flesh was, flesh was a problem. Was remember... it?
0: Uh, was it Connor Barwin? Nope. Nope. W- was it Vinnie Curry?
1: Before him, you gonna know when, when you 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 say the name, I'll know it. Trent Cole. Trent Cole.
0: Mm. Great call. Oh, so he was the one. He was the one, and
1: he was—he had, you know, probably finished with a hundred sacks in his career. He was the one. Yeah, that's who well,
2: He was. I'm sorry that those two snaps happened to you from Fletcher Cox, but that's the type of stories that just give me life. Like I love saying, like, <laughs> H- "Hello, Dinata." I'm a Ravens fan, so holding out yeah. Kelly Greg, like I, like Tony Sir Groups, like those type of noses that you sure. press shed and just let them take that hit and just fall down? Bro, no, <laughs> nah, for right. real, for real.
0: So, so Fletch was that dude on the interior for you. Yeah. What about working your way out here? Because, I mean, you've seen some pretty badass DNs, outside linebackers in your career, I'd
1: imagine. Yeah, uh, I have. I have. I've seen, I've seen a ton. Uh, Let me see.
0: Like, is there one dude you would say is the hardest to block of any of the like edge rushers you've gone against?
1: Yeah, yeah, quite a quite a quite a few, but if I had to just say one guy right now, and you already brought him up, it was Chan Chandler Jones. Mm. And and for for Chandler, it was him being unorthodox. Like like you see his brother fight; they just move. They the way they move is just different. They bone structure not the same as everybody else. Their muscle pattern is different, so the way change is kind of like the way he the way he rushes, he extremely long arms, mm-hmm. so he's able to he's able to touch touch people first, change the direction. He can go power, he can go hands, but the probably the best thing about Chandler Jones is his transition. So if he starts with a long arm, his ability to get to a rip and then mm-hmm. finish with a swim, like uh, very few, very few can do that. The Boses. Bond, uh, Bond can go from a rip to a spin inside. Like those are the guys that stress you because you can't, you can't really relax. Like you stop the first move or end the second move, but they still late and touch the ball. You know, those are the guys that stress you.
0: It's 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 some. You just mentioned some of the freakiest athletes the NFL has to offer. So I hope everyone's got an appreciation that if someone as good as you is saying that about these guys. There, there's some dudes built different on the perimeter of these NFL teams, man. I was always very thankful to be down in the middle where there was a lot less of that going on. But uh, so it, it, that's a lot of the stuff. And, and Teron, we, we mentioned it already, like O-line masterminds, O-line summit. We talked to Lane uh, Johnson about yesterday, kind of what went into this. And so you're one of the vets that they lean on down there. In your mind, when you got a chance to talk to young players at events like this, what's the biggest message you try and get to them?
1: Uh, i'm also I'm more i'm more so just go off my experience man i just i just talk about my experience my knowledge i'm a true student of the game you know so uh i'm not going i'm not going to tell anyone anything that i haven't done or seen seen work consistently uh but 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 really it's just i just i just go off Given, given my experience, my knowledge, uh, I love to tell guys to find their identity. How I just talked about not chasing other players. I'm watching those players because they're great, and and I'm taking what I can take from them. I'm not trying to model. I'm not trying to take his game because I'm not him. So I couldn't if I tried to play like Joe Thomas. I'd have I've been I've been bad. I've been real bad. Mm. So. Um, that's probably the biggest thing, especially for the younger guy, finding their identity and, and building that from watching it done. The answers are all the answers are out there already. So just find it exactly what you're looking for. What's your strengths and plan to that.
2: Now, you said you're a student of the game and you say, you, you know, you bring your experience to it. Now, I feel like I see that in your rapping game as well. Now, I, there's a little video that Miami uh, put out. Yeah, I, I found some stuff. Is it your favorite movies: Bad Boys Two. Favorite TV show: Game of Thrones. Cool, cool. Understand that? Respect, respect. It's like, oh, oh, he's, oh, he spits. And then you go listen to the spitting, and like you said, Mike and I said we was listening to your to your, uh music to get ready for this interview, and I was like, oh, Mike, like he's he's been bad before. Like now he's even he's just. Like, he became him in the rap game as well. Like, just to let everybody know, if you guys haven't uh, really tapped in, he's kind of like a mix of, like, I say Slim Thug is from our generation. But like, Slim Thug and Young Dolph mixed. Like, a little, like, that, that, like that, that draw that, you know, Kevin Gates and Young Dolph, and I say Young Dolph because Midwestern swag, Midwestern braggadocious, it just it just flows a different way. You know what I'm saying? You just hear it a little different. And ASTG, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, so Louisville's trying to make a little wave in the rap game too. Like, who's the people that you study in a rap game that 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 inspire you to get in the booth? Dolph, one of them.
1: Woo! Dolph, yes. yeah, nah, spot on. You spot on with the Dolph. Oh, RIP. Sure. Uh, yeah, all right, rest in peace, Young Dolph, uh, Moneybag, Yo, Future, Drake, Wayne. You know, I listen to all those guys, Jay, all those guys. But probably, like, who's closer to my style, Dolph, Moneybag,
2: Yeah,
1: ESG. Those are the ones that probably more so fit my, my rap style.
2: When would you start rapping, though?
1: Man, we started in high school. My cousin, my cousin that passed away, Bugatti, Long Live Bugatti. He put me in. We had a little rap group, a little clique, Centerville clique. It was CBC, you know, repping. Uh, little Doc, he was my quarterback. He's my high school quarterback. He had his own studio in high school. So we just should go in and uh, turn them fans off, like, for real. Turn the AC off. <laughs> oh, quiet. Everybody be quiet. We ain't had, like, the, mic, the noise canceling off. So you got to be real quiet. Somebody walk in the room, mess the whole song. Oh, we was man. really, we really doing
2: like Smuzzling hustling flow type. <laughs> it's so dope, it's That's so dope, bro. That's so dope. I can't tell you rapping like you always, you always know the people on your team that can rap because yep. you just get it like quick little freestyle, freestyle, little, little, mm-hmm. little. Bu- I mean, hell, we used to rap back in the day at Notre Dame. Lost tapes, but you'll find some some Skyler Diggins freestyles that probably get sold for some good money back in the day. Wow, we just really? just in it. Yeah, shout out to D Season. <laughs>
0: I can say every football team, well, you say you know the guys that like rap, but you also know the guys that can actually rap. Like every team's got a couple of dudes that are actually nice like that. Like so you started in high school. By the time you were in college, like were you putting stuff out still while you were uh while you were at Arkansas Pine Bluff? Were you doing it in college too?
1: Yeah, yeah. We put some songs out in college. We had some uh like some big team, big team songs, kind of like, you know, the big school guys were doing. One of my – one of the DBs, Joe Brown, he had a studio in the dorm room. So we all went and, and 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 cooked up. And probably like our first song came out. By the second song, I'm always like drop the beat when it's my turn. That it was like, – look, I'm going to take off. Damn.
0: So do you have like a favorite song you've ever done? Uh –
1: I got some old, I got some old songs from on my phone from 07, 07
2: 08. And you just went uh, in? But I was
1: still Early, playing. I was still early. early. So, like, my rap style different. Like you can still hear my, you can still hear the voice, but, like, the style was different. The tempo is different. So, uh, it's funny, it's funny to hear now. Like, you go back to the old style.
0: Well and like do you talk about that like you mentioned like you were hanging out with Fabulous, you were hanging out like you were watching yeah. uh you were watching Future like does that come up when you're around those guys? Do you talk to like rappers in the game like that about what you're doing and like chop it up about that?
1: No, not really. Not really. You know, time and place um right. for for
0: a lot of things.
1: I get a lot of um people inquiring about trying to do some music wise like I think I hit up by some some big producers and, uh, but for me, I, I I really don't have the time. I don't, I'm not in the studio much. So, uh you know, I'm working on my craft. I'm getting ready for, for football. I, I know how, I got to keep the main thing the main thing. Sure, and I love music and I love making music and rapping, but I'm um, fortunate enough that when I go to the studio, I can knock out four songs quick. And I got a talented producer who can he can do whatever after I finish. So uh, I don't spend much time in it. Probably probably once a month I'll go and, and yeah. we we'll just get I'll probably have I got 20 songs ready to put out
2: right now. Hey, all I know is T-Stead is one of the hardest rap names. Uh I don't I don't know if you, <laughs> how long you had that one, but that one's and a lot of NFL guys could use your help. Like A B is out here struggling uh <laughs> with his with his mixtape game. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, You're about some, some posse click cuts. We need some N- NFL posse click cuts because I, I I wrote it down. Look, I write. Look, NFL's money bag yo. I wrote that wrote that right down there, and that's what you that's what you give off. Like that's like that's the, you, you out here spitting for this. real for real. I appreciate
0: it, man. I appreciate it for real. What, now, Tim, to- we look.
1: train has been going crazy too. Like, man, I got a, one single over two million string. Like, no promo, no paid promo or nothing. It's just. I like to put the music out and then people send it around or whatever. Um,
2: is the intro to never, Miami or hold on?
1: BOA. So BOA came out a year ago. Damn. It's called, it's called Bank of America. BOA is my biggest song by far. Um, uh, man, listen, they, we've been, we've been, we've been doing it. We probably got like forty-five thousand monthly listeners on Spotify. Like the music has been received well. Been received really well. And that's why I put it out, because if i was always getting all type of negative response. I'm like, man, stop. But no, like, every time I put a song out, it's all like, man, this is fire. I'm like, you know, here we go. I got some more. I got the next one. I got the next one.
0: So it, it's gotten a lot of good attention. And Brandon mentioned some of the other guys around the NFL. So I want to start this off. Are there any other guys on your team in Miami that can rap? Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll start there. Who's in the Miami locker room that can rap? So you know it's
1: time Melvin Ingram yep oh Hager, one of the ones too as far as the ends on the edge that have stressed my life he's one of the ones for sure but yeah so king male uh, we got Jalen Phillips young boy down down play at Miami now he with the dolphins yeah. too uh he's more of a producer though Jalen Jalen get into the Damn. producer yeah for sure for sure uh duke Riley so me and duke was talking about the music during in a game one day we was back uh I know, what do it was that? in atlanta i want to say we was uh talking about the music in a game we was smacking them anyway so
0: <laughs> wait so how does that come up in a game then you guys were out there smacking them and what does he just come up like one of you just approach the other how's that work
1: it was like field goal or something like field goal block field goal field goal field goal, field goal block <laughs> Most least stakes
2: like, for, for offensive linemen or alignment in yeah, general.
1: That's the worst thing for Olive. Duke was like, yo, team, gotta get on this music out of the season. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. He, he's talking about all types of stuff. Duke, my God, man. If you ever get to meet Duke Riley, he's a great energy, like a great person to be around. He, he is, for real. This special, special guy. Damn. Um, but yeah, I think I think those the um uh, those the those are the guys. We got Preston Williams too. He's a receiver out of Atlanta. Mm. He make music as well.
0: So you guys got a pretty good core of that in Miami. I'll op I'll open it up even further then. NFL, NBA, otherwise, who do you think are like a handful of the best rappers that are also athletes currently? Mike, we're doing no this weed? internet
2: thing. You gotta go, you gotta go straight top five. Top five rappers. All right, there we go. Top five athlete rappers out. And and yes, and yes, we taking Dion uh if you want to throw him out there.
1: See, I can only go up the guys I've heard, really. Like, I, I'm not going to just pull popular names in I ain't Good, good. Uh, so, top five, I'm going to go with me for sure. And that's unbiased, too. You know, uh, I'm going to go with me, number one. Uh, let's go King Male, Quan Alexander. Quan got some dope music. He got some dope music. He uh, got a mm-hmm. lot of range. Yes, for sure. A lot of range. He cover a lot of different, a wide variety of music. Uh, my young dog, CD Deuce, down in down in New Orleans, down in down in New Orleans. Always turn him up. He gonna always turn him up every time. Uh, let you see that fifth spot. I go Dame Dog. I
0: like Dame music. I was wondering okay. where Dame was gonna check in on the list. Cause I feel like for the general public, most people like really only know like when they think about athletes who are rap, and a lot of people, that's the first name they gravitate to. So I was wondering where he'd check in.
1: I'm gonna go Dame. I'm gonna go Dame Doll. I like his uh I like his style of rap. More of a Nas, Jay-Z kind of body little Jay College, but I I vibe with it.
2: Have you listened to Miles Bridges yet? I have not. I, I haven't either. That makes me feel better about it. People people claim he he's real out here. Mike, you ain't you ain't listen, you, you cut on Mouse Bridges yet?
0: No, not quite, man. I haven't got I haven't got around to that one yet. So uh, yeah. maybe, I maybe I Paul got, a,
1: Paul got some music too. Uh
0: I was gonna nah. be, I was gonna
1: try to get in the studio with Lonzo, but he had he had an up leaving the one he signed in Chicago. Oh yeah. Yeah. I
2: was gonna try to get him in the studio. I think I was I was sipping the LA Kool-Aid because I was living out there when he put out those first couple tapes and I think I was playing them a little bit more than I needed to. You know, I think they was good. You know what I'm saying? Lonzo. 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 Oh really? Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. Those tapes were straight. I mean, cohesive. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I like it.
0: I like it. Turn them All, up. Right. All <laughs> right. All right. So we got the top, we got the top five current athlete rappers as indicated by T-Stead himself. Guys, make sure you check that out. Like you said, he's got him in the chamber. BOA, most stream song that he's got. Make sure you guys check that out. So, something to look forward to here. But, uh, man, Teron, we know you're a busy guy. I'm excited. I know I'm going to get to see you down in Dallas this weekend for O-Line Masterminds, man. But, you know, say it now, too. Best of luck. Excited to see what you guys got going on in Miami right now. I know between you, between Tyreek, You guys got a core of guys that have come over here and really upped the expectation for this organization, man. So good luck, and we're looking forward to watching it.
1: Appreciate it, man. Thank you, fellas.
0: The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Appreciate Teron coming through. Awesome to get to chop it up with him again One of the, when, when, when he's been healthy. One of the best players in that position in the league and has bars. What more could you want out of your starting left tackle? Nothing. Not a damn thing. We appreciate everyone <laughs> checking that out. Uh, before we get to this, that, and the third, Brandon – you and I have talked about this you know, off the podcast for a while and really kind of wanted to wait until we've had time to, to digest enough because it, it's that serious of an issue and it's that important of a subject because it is quite literally someone's freedom mm. at stake. And that is WNBA star Brittany Greiner, who has been, as the United States government you know, now acknowledges and declares it, wrongfully detained in Russia after going through TSA and being accused of Trying to take vape cartridges with hashish oil in them on the plane with her, and has now been detained. You know, going back to March of this year, she has been the focus of so much effort and energy on her, by her WNBA peers, Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner of the WNBA, and others have gone through great lengths to try and make sure her name is out there, and that bringing Brittany Griner home has been the rallying cry for the W this season we saw Brittany Griner recently through her uh, you know support team was able to get a letter to in front of President Joe Biden back here in America that was confirmed by the White House he had seen that letter imploring him and the U.S. government to essentially not forget about her as she now according to reports gets set to begin her trial on Friday and what most people are saying is a show trial this is being done for uh, political gain by Vladimir Putin and the Russian government to try and get a trade that would bring back a, a guy who was an arms dealer who was accused of propping up terrorist groups uh, along the way. So Brandon, it, it, it's all incredibly dense subject matter. It's obviously terrifying because being arrested abroad is something that most you know U.S. citizens dread because you're fish out of water in so many ways. But for Brittany Griner to be trapped across the border in a country that's currently at war right now and has agitated really the rest of the globe has to be incredibly terrifying. And I I, I don't know if there's really even a point for me in all this other than to understand and acknowledge and to do what it feels like we would want any family member or friend of ours to do if we were in that situation. And that is to keep talking about it, right? That's why it's been such a focus is I can listen, and there's a great episode of ESPN Daily with TJ Quinn, who's an investigative reporter over there, talking about all the different political dynamics that go into this and the strategy of having to negotiate for someone in a situation like this and all the tentacles that it has that I, I want to be cognizant of and respectful of in this situation. All I can come back to is, man, if Brittany Griner were someone in my family, a teammate or a friend of mine... I, I don't know how you'd be able to go to sleep at night without feeling like you were trying to keep her name out there and trying to fight as best you could on her behalf.
2: Yeah, and shouts out to her lawyer. There, there, there's an email address that they're keeping within the WNBA community for people to write emails to, to Brittany Griner that ends up getting printed out and given to her after the Russians have gone through it. And she's able to, to write back. Uh, I guess she, they're taking pictures of her handwritten letters or transcribing it so she's able to communicate back with her WNBA family. Listen, she's been over there for over 100 days. She was detained uh, a week before uh, the invasion of Russia and Ukraine began. Uh, I, I'm only stating these little tidbits to try to fully paint the picture of how long she's been in this hell and wrongfully detained and you talked about americans being arrested and find themselves in jail overseas it's even more real for african-americans and the fear is real um, and especially a celebrity of her of her sorts that is being used as a pawn at this point in time and it's it's unfortunate that she found herself in the middle of this shitstorm this international shitstorm and she's looking at real time uh, unfortunately and obviously that time could be cut off at any point in time if you know whatever vladimir putin is demanding gets met by uh us government but she's facing 10 years right now for this uh unlawful i can't say unlawful well uh, and wrongfully and, detained i think that yes. that's the one that we're all we're all rallying behind it which is True in so many ways, but at this point in time, I'm I'm really sad uh, that she's missing out on the season, uh, that she's missing out on this time with her family, uh, that she has to be reminded of what freedom really means and feels like around the holidays at this point in time, and and I'm glad it's a reminder for all of us, but it it's it's saddened it's 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 that much more sad and heartbreaking because there is so few things that any of us can do that really care about bringing Britney Griner home ASAP.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's what this ultimately comes down to is what is this going to take? And the recent example that most people that have been familiar with this have brought up has been the name Trevor Reed, who was a former US Marine veteran who had been imprisoned in Russia on charges that his family claims were false and politically motivated by Russia to try and, you know, get him, you know, get him over there to use again for political gain. He was just released in April, almost 3 years mm-hmm. after he was originally detained. And a lot of that had to do with claims about his current health and things that they thought were going to be needed immediately for him, but That was someone where it took three years and the large portion of that didn't occur during wartime, which Russia currently is in right now. And I know one of the fears that was presented, not fears, but one of the concerns presented by T.J. Quinn on that podcast discussing this was, you know, trying to get this to the president's desk, applying that kind of pressure to get things done was part of what helped bring Trevor Reed home. But if it's not successful early on here, and I bring up the timeline for that to say, this could take a lot longer than we all want it to, even Mm -hmm. with her celebrity status. And I know her coach said, if this was LeBron James, he'd be home already. And and all of these things that are, are rightly, I think things that the government has not given the benefit of the doubt on. It has not done a lot to endear its trust lately or ever with black people, minority groups of any kind, women, but that timeline, one of the worries becomes if you are so public in your cries for something to be done and nothing happens, TJ brought up, could that then deflate some of the public confidence? Could that sort of, you know, hurt that cry and that pressure? And the one thing that I will say, and the one thing I know to be certain, having worked closely with Chenea Gumake, who is a, you know, proud member of the W and the WNBA PA with her sister NECA, who is the president, is that is a group of women that will not let up. Like as Mm. long as Brittany Griner is not here, they will make sure she is at the forefront of any conversation. They will find creative ways as they work with her representation to make sure they are being tactful about this. But that is a group of women who have had to be leaders on and off the court in so many ways that they shouldn't have to be. But when no one else will do the work, they have always rolled up their sleeves and done it. And so Hopefully, the rest of the sports world can support them in the ways that are necessary. But that is one thing I do know in a sea of things that are very uncertain around this because it's got so many layers is that group of women will not let up. And having them as an ally for Brittany Griner is a reason to have hope because that is a group that has proven to be, when unified around a subject, a force to be reckoned with.
2: Amen to that. And God bless those women and and, uh, thoughts and prayers to all the allies for Brittany Griner are going to be working to get her home. I know her wife uh, recently, she's been on Good Morning America and she's been a lot of different places, but she recently said that she's going to flirt with that balance between help and harassment to the U.S. government uh, about Biden and Doing all the things that he can to make sure all the American U.S. detainees are returned, uh, but specifically uh, Brittany Griner, um, and I listen. Her being this freak athlete, six nine, just in those in that cell, and and along with her thoughts, uh, I I hope a lot of good comes out of it, out of this at the end of the day, than the bad that comes out of it. Um, which is kind of a, a, a segue to another story in this, that, and the third. But I really do, think, I really do hope that, uh, good, that nothing but good comes out of this, even though it is such a dark time for her and the W right now.
0: No, absolutely. So it, it, it certainly, like you said, thoughts are with her as she goes through this, and hopefully this does have a resolution sooner than later as so many factors are considered in all of this. All right, Brandon, deep breath. <laughs> Yes, Steve. Obviously wanted to address something that important. Yeah. Now we do have a job to do on the back end of the show, though. It is time to close this show out the way that we always do. Brandon, do you know what time it is?
2: I can't feel the way I did before.
0: Don't turn your back on me. This, that, and the that Wow, Linkin Park, this, that, in the third. You really know your audience. Yeah,
2: listen, I, I, I felt that uh, 03. I felt that 03. We were talking about Murphy Lee mm. earlier. We are talking about uh, Bad Boys 2, the soundtrack, the beautifulness that was all over that soundtrack, 2003, 2004. Great time in hip-hop. Great time in music in general. Linkin Park. Remember that uh, Jay-Z collision course? Fate, Jigga what? Oh, Crash man. course?
0: When, when, boy, so many dangerous opportunities for the member of Lincoln Park. I'm glad they passed that test during that collaboration effort. <laughs> oh, what a time <sighs> in music. Brandon, let's celebrate some times going on right now and some news that we got. This comes to us from the NHL. Big news as Mike Greer has been named the San Jose Sharks' new general manager. It's historic because he becomes the National Hockey League's first black GM, according to the team. Now, Greer had a 14-year career as a player in the NFL, skated in more than 1,000 games, including three years with the Shark, where he was the NHL. alternate captain for that team. Oh, sorry, what did I say? The
2: F. You said the oh. NFL. Yeah,
0: classic. Well, I- you'll understand why that slip occurred as Mike Greer, in the NHL as a GM it is noteworthy because he's got a family that's well versed in this his brother Chris is the general manager of the Miami Dolphins Um, Greer has been with the NFL over 20 years and has been in football operations since 2016 their dad Bobby was a longtime coach scout executive and advisor in the National Football League so first off Congratulations to Mike, but second off, good Lord, what an impressive family. Now, I know there's been a lot of us, myself included, who have been publicly critical of some of the moves that Chris Greer has made in Miami, but that can stand separately from the fact that he has been good enough to get to that position, one of 32 GMs in pro football, and now his brother has done the same in the world of the NHL.
2: Oh, yeah, it's amazing. I'm I'm very proud. I've been waiting for an excuse to get a a San Jose Sharks jersey for a very, very long time because – what a sick logo! What mm-hmm. a sick, sick jersey! Um, I'm happy that I can do that and also support one of these African American firsts. I, I talk about this a lot, but it gets tedious when in the in the news, and you think, "Oh, this is the first black, this first black, that," and it's like, "Damn, it's taking this long!" I'm like, yeah, that's where we're at now. You know what I mean? The the NBA started letting black people in with '54, uh, so yeah, this is this is where we're at. Um, so congratulations to them. I just I just look I always I got always good I just like I hope another family of successful black uh executives from national leagues can get their their chance to shine as well I hope this hope the Greers are just the beginning of uh, this behavior push around obviously it depends on who's who's got their boots on yeah. the ground in the sport obviously but the the fact that the opportunity is awarded uh is a huge step and i I hope, I hope I hope it doesn't it's not a it doesn't I hope he's an example of how it's not a race thing. And and well, as much I, as it is a race thing and I can and I can bang my chest and be proud of it to being a race thing, it needs not to be a race thing to to normalize for the bigger picture.
0: To your point, there usually has to be a first. It is sad that it's taken this long for this to be yes. the first. It is unfortunately not overly shocking in a league like the NHL that has never really been praised for diversity. During a lot of its tenure here, it's been thought of as a predominantly white sport. And so moments like this are, you know, weird to celebrate, but it is a noteworthy accomplishment for Mike Greer, for that family. And so it's one that we'll celebrate in that way, acknowledging that progress shouldn't take this long in a lot of the sports that we love. But
2: hopefully it's great for the San Jose Sharks.
0: Yeah, exactly. Listen, again, it's someone with a wealth of playing experience, experience with that team, all of which, like you said, should be the major topic of conversation when it comes to this subject. Brandon, you brought it up already. Let's get to that with this. Former uh, Minnesota Lynx star Maya Moore and her husband, Jonathan Irons, just announced the birth of their first child, Jonathan Houston Irons Jr., the pair told Good Morning America on Tuesday. If you remember... Maya Moore stepped away from the WNBA and her all-world career with accomplishments that are long enough to fill multiple Wikipedia pages. She stepped away to help try and free Jonathan Irons from a wrongful conviction in a Missouri prison. It was the subject of a lot of stories that ended up having the twist at the end that they got married and were together. That was not known as we were covering that story for multiple years as Maya Moore went through that and then turned into something that you couldn't even dream up in a movie and so awesome news for them that they are doing well that they have a child now and that Jonathan Irons has his freedom in no small part due to the work of the woman that he now is raising a child with.
2: I mean it's a beautiful family, a wonderful uh success story that 30 for 30 is amazing uh, about how they just fell in love and and their history and it's it's deeper. People look at it on the surface and think like, "Oh, she was helping him out and they fell in love." Like, "Oh, it's like when Actors fall in love on movie sets. Like no, this this family, the two these two families know each other for a very long time. Maya Moore's family uh, in the ministry have been helping out uh, people that have been wrongfully arrested for a very very long time, and and I'm I'm so thankful that uh, uh, life is coming out of this life that got brought into Jonathan Iron's uh, life. Just to uh, round it out. But it is a beautiful story and and I'm happy for them. And shouts out to Maya Moore, the mother.
0: Yes, a big congratulations. Another role that, like everything else she's done in her life, I'm sure she'll kick ass at. Because some people's better is just better. And Maya Moore (laughs) appears to be one of those people. But Brandon, speaking of better being better, let's get to the third. Because this shit is wild. Business Insider posted this story the other day. A Chilean dispatch assistant was accidentally paid 330 times more than his monthly salary. He received 100 just over 165 million Chilean pesos, which comes out to about 180,000 US dollars, when he was originally owed around 545 US dollars. Now, he was given this the worker approached the deputy manager of his distribution center notifying them he had received 330 times his salary. That manager reported it to HR who noted the error and asked the worker to go to his bank to initiate the return of the excess money. He promised to go the next day but reported that he did not it was reported he did not return the money, ignored the calls on WhatsApp the messages. Hell he did? from them for three days, and then the worker offered his resignation letter, sent in via his attorney, and the newspaper says it has not heard from them since. Now, they filed a criminal complaint, but Brandon, essentially, this guy got paid, said something about it, realized, oh bleep, why did I say something about it, and then full-on dipped. This man executed what, for years, I have claimed would be my strategy were I to ever win the lottery. When I was in New Orleans, speaking of Teron Armstead, Powerball was at like a billion dollars, and I would come in every Wednesday before that drawing was about to go off, and I would tell those guys, it's the last day you're ever going to see or hear from me, because the minute I hit this ticket, I'm driving straight to the Louisiana State Lottery office, I'm not leaving until I get it done, and then I am vanishing without a trace. I am telling nothing and nobody, and you will never see me again.
2: Rightfully so. Rightfully so. Also, when it comes to the lottery, I can't Help with to think about if you would get it monthly or take the tax and get the lump sum. Lump it's sum all, boy. All... Lump sum. Lump sum boy. Okay, okay. Well, if it takes a couple, it may couple, take a couple months to get that lump sum check. You know how people you are when they come you, to giving you money. You,
0: you won't know that I have won the lottery until that you. You won't ever know. No one's ever going to know. Nobody. I'm not telling shit, Mike.
2: You know damn well you ain't gonna be able to tell. Keep it under wraps. If anybody, somebody, Jeffrey's going to tell, or Sydney, somebody's going to tell somebody. Uh, But anyways, this Chilean dispatch assistant is the GOAT. You know why? Because he alerted them. He's like, hey, by the way, y'all did this, and they didn't take the check straight from him? He's like, okay, I'm going to go lawyer up. Something they don't do enough on Law and Order SVU when they get to questioning. I'm going to lawyer up. The fact that he sent his resignation letter from a lawyer tells me that he knew exactly what the hell he was doing when he got that money. And he is probably somewhere, I don't know, what do you think, Malibu right now? Man, you know what? I don't well, know. Where I, maybe, he not, is. maybe not with $180,000, but he, I'm not, he's somewhere.
0: <laughs> I'm not even going to speculate he, where he is, because I don't even want to border on snitching. I hope that man is okay, happy. I, I like hope like this like is the that. end of Shawshank Redemption, where he has found his beach somewhere with Red and he is having himself a great time. So congratulations to that Chilean lottery winner. Go Can off I, King. Go off.
2: This and this is why you this is why you play the lottery. This is why you wait to hit a lick. Like all these little things, like. It can it can happen. You know what I'm saying? Unicorns exist. Bigfoot's out there. The Loch Ness monster. They have footage. Y'all y'all just gotta wait for your time. You know what I'm saying? And it could come. It may not come because you know the lottery and whatnot. But it may come. It may come in your lifetime. You just gotta be smart when it does come.
0: I I sat L- around licks get hit. I sat around and prayed for times like this all the time at ESPN. I used to get emails that were meant for my dad all the time, and I prayed one day payroll would make that same mistake and bless me with what his salary was supposed to be every week. That never happened, but it did happen for this man, and we are all going to collectively rally around and celebrate his heroism. As always, we celebrate your heroism if you've made it this far in the podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review Gojo wherever you get your podcast. Follow us at Gojo Show on Twitter and Instagram. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.